Well, good evening. It's good to see everybody that's here tonight. Glad to have those of you who are with us on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter. Be sure to heart, to like, to share, uh, do all those things there that just help to get the word out uh, to let others know about our service. Welcome to our phone living, phone live streaming folks uh, who are listening uh, there on the phone system. Also, if you need that number, you can call the church office or see me after the service, and I'll be glad to give that to you. Uh, if you have access to the website, go to highlandbaptistchurch.com. You can download the church bulletin as well as the children's worship bulletins underneath the info tab, so be sure to get those uh, downloaded, and then you can download your prayer requests there uh, also, and then we also have, uh, if you go to the far right-hand side, you can do your online giving, uh, just click that uh, little button there, It'll, it's very easy for you to set up your uh, one-time gift, a recurring gift, however you want to do that, and then also, if you'll remember this morning, we had our uh, Lottie Moon Christmas offering prayer guides uh, to be praying for the international missions. Uh, week of prayer this week, so be sure to grab one of those if you didn't, and be sure to uh, take the time to pray through those uh, this week. So, Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us. Hymnals and turn to 64. Uh, we used to sing a little song with our kids when they were little because there's a little character on TV called Salty uh, uh, from the Psalms. And uh, he would sing a song called uh, Cast All Your Cares Upon Him or I Cast All My Cares Upon You. And, um, uh, let's sing God Will Take Care. Can't hear. Okay. You're in control. I'm not. Okay. We'll get a little closer. Take your hymnals and, and uh, Roger's going to lead us in... <laughs> God will take care of you. It's bad. No matter. 
Take your Bibles tonight as we go through the book of Genesis again. Uh, we're in chapter 13, 12 and 13 tonight. Uh, we went through uh, verse 9 uh, last week in chapter 12, uh, verse 1 through verse 9. Tonight I've entitled the message from famine to, to faith. Uh, handling disputes, uh, however you want to look at that. Uh, it's uh, some of the issues that Abraham and Sarah uh, go through and Abram and Lot uh, face uh, with their disputes with one another. So uh, we're going to begin, uh, and I don't know how I split this up, I guess verse 10, uh, chapter 12. Yeah, chapter 12, verse 10 is where we're going to begin. So would you stand as we read God's word in honor of his word? Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you once again for the privilege to come to your house to worship you, to uh, sing songs of praise to your name, to hear from your word, to hear your Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts. And Father, I pray that uh, this passage and this message would speak to our hearts tonight, especially uh, for those as believers, uh, that they will be encouraged to live and to walk in their lives by faith uh, rather than by sight. Father, I pray that we'll learn some things about handling disputes. Uh, we'll see some of the journey uh, of Abram and Sarai and Lot also from famine to faith. And Lord, help us in those famine times of our lives uh, to move to a more faithful uh, walk with you, to a more faith-filled experience with you also. And so Lord, use us tonight, bless us and fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Amy Carmichael was a missionary to India, and she wrote, Life can be difficult, some, uh, can be difficult, and sometimes the enemy comes in like a flood, but then is the time to prove our faith and love our songs. You know, a faith that can't be tested can't really be trusted. You know, Peter compared the Christian's trials to testing of gold uh, in the furnace. You can see that in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. Uh, Job uses that same kind of imagery. Uh, and so let me share this verse with you. You'll see it on your screen too, Job 23, verse 10, that says, But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. And, and so that imagery that he's portraying there is of the refiner uh, who has his 
fire built under his vat. He's poured his, his precious metals into it. You know, when you go and, and dig ore and metals out of the, the rock or out of the dirt, it's got other substances in it, mixed in it. And so you got to heat it up to get it to where it melts. So all those impurities can then begin to float to the top. And then they will take their ladle and begin to scrape across the top to continue to remove that until uh, the refiner can see his own reflection. Uh, in the vat there of gold or silver. And so that's what he's talking about there in that imagery, that God allows us to go through those times of trial and testing uh, to prove us, to try us, uh, to make us more like him, uh, to make us more like Jesus. You know, so God's purpose in allowing trials in our life is, is not just to verify our faith, it's also to purify it and to remove the impurities from our lives. And, and we all have sin. Uh, in fact, the New Testament tells us if we say we have no sin, uh, we're calling God a liar. Uh, we have sin uh, in our lives. And so God knows what kind of faith we have, but we don't always know. And the only way to advance, if you will, in the school of faith uh, is to take examinations, to take a test, if you will, like Abraham did uh, as you prog progress in the, in the school of faith. You face some special tests. And so I want to share with you those special tests that we all face in our lives, uh, that God allows in our lives from time to time. One is circumstances, and we're going to see that here in verse 10. Another is people in verse 11 through verse, uh, chapter 13 and verse 4. And then things in chapter 13 and verse 5 uh, down to verse 18. And so verse 12 through verse 10 looks at those circumstances first. So in leaving his family, you remember where we left Abram last time, uh, he had been told by God to leave from uh, the land of Ur, from the Ur of the Chaldees, and to come and journey down to his home, to, to a place that the Lord was going to show him. Wherever he led him, that was going to be the homeland that he was going to lead him to and that he would settle in. He didn't know exactly where that would be, but he decided he would follow the Lord. Uh, somewhere along the way, him and his family had stopped. Uh, Terah and his family, Terah had finally passed away, and then he decided uh, to, to pick up again as the Lord had pressed upon his heart uh, to do, and he left his family uh, there uh, where they were. And so Abraham and Sarah here, uh, they have taken this great step of faith to travel to an unknown land. Uh, after he arrives, he sees God a second time. And here's a word of promise a second time. So Abraham and Sarah, they probably expected at this point to, to kind of settle down, build a house, enjoy the new home, but God wouldn't let them. Instead, God allows a famine to come to the land. Uh, there's no record that Abraham ever faced a famine when he was in Ur or when he was in Haran, uh, but now that he was in God's land, he had to find food for a large group of people, plus all the flocks and herds. So just think of all the people that are with him and all the servants that are with him uh, and all. And so uh, when you look at that, why did God allow famine, uh, allow the famine? He allowed it to teach Abram and Sarah the basic lesson in the school of faith, uh, a lesson that we all must learn, and it's this. Tests often follow triumphs. You have mountaintop experiences in your life, and almost invariably after one of those mountaintop experiences where things are going great, things are going smooth, you're going to experience a test of your faith. 
And that principle is illustrated in the history of Israel over and over and over again. In fact, no sooner had the nation been delivered from Egypt that the Egyptian army comes. So, so here they are on the mountaintop experience. They've been praying for God to turn the heart of Pharaoh to, to release them from Egypt. And finally God answers. And finally the Pharaoh just says, he, you can go. Go on and go wherever you're going. And as soon as they leave, they think everything's great. Here comes the Egyptian army. And, and you remember they come up against the Red Sea and they complained to Moses and said, why did you bring us out here to die? Uh, against this Red Sea. And, and so uh, there they had been on a mountaintop experience, and now they're in a test. Triumph was followed by testing. But God brought them through. And then they faced another test. You remember they got into the wilderness and there was no water. And after that came hunger. And after that came an attack of the Amalekites. Tests follow triumphs. There was a young believer that said, I thought that getting saved was the end of all my troubles, but I now know that faith in Jesus has given me a whole new set of problems. He said, but now there's two differences, though. He said, I don't face them alone because the Lord's with me, and I know he allows them for my good and his glory. You know, one of the enemies of life is, uh, and the life of faith is pride. So, so when you win a victory... It's just a natural inclination of our sinful selves to, to kind of want to get puffed up. I mean, we do it with our football teams, don't we? When our team wins, we're like, oh, yes, we're, we're, we're the best team that there is. And that's not always the case that happens. The, the downfall comes on the other side. And so uh, pride begins to rise up within us. And you begin to feel overconfident. You start telling yourself, you know, I can defeat any enemy at any time. Bring it on, devil. Bring it on. And you start depending on your past experiences, and you start depending on your growing knowledge of the Word instead of depending wholly on the Lord and His Spirit. And that's why the promise of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, comes before the warning of verse 12, or comes after the warning of verse 12. Uh, the warning of verse 12 says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So let, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. And he says in, in verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but will with the temptation also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And so in that promise there, we also have the word of warning. To be careful, lest we be filled with pride, lest we think, I can take this on by myself, and we begin to turn our backs upon God. God didn't want Abraham to become proud. He didn't want him to become self-confident. And so he puts him and his faith into the furnace of testing, if you will. One of the lessons that we need to learn from this passage is that after you have won a great victory of faith, one of the things you can almost always expect is for the enemy to attack. He's almost always going to attack in those times. He's going to attack you or the Lord is going to test you or both. And this is the only way that you can grow your faith. 
You know, we say, Lord, help me to have more faith. But you have to go through trials to to grow in your faith, to learn to trust the Lord uh, even more. And and so God uses those tough circumstances of life to, to build the muscles of faith, if you will, to keep us from trusting something other than His Word. So be careful. Don't ever tr- don't don't try to run away from the problem. It, it won't work. Instead of remaining in the land and trusting the Lord to help him, uh, we're going to see that Abraham here went down into Egypt. That's what verse ten says. So here was a famine in the land, and so what does Abraham do? He leaves. Problem comes up. He gets out of the kitchen. It's too hot. So he goes down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now, one of the things missing from here is God telling him to do that. God didn't tell him to go down to Egypt. What he should have done is he should have stayed and trusted the Lord there uh, where he was in the midst of that famine. In the Bible, Egypt is a symbol of the world system and, and its bondage. And while the land of Israel is a, is a picture of the inheritance of a blessing of God that, that God has for you. So when people went to Jerusalem, they always went up because Jerusalem uh, sat up on a mount. Uh, but when they went to Egypt, they always went down. And so there was always this correlation spiritually when you see Jerusalem and, and you see uh, uh, Egypt being, or Israel and Egypt being contrasted with one another. When, so the people go up to Jerusalem. Uh, that symbolizes, spiritually speaking, that they're going up uh, in their walk with the Lord. Uh, when they're going down to Egypt, spiritually speaking, uh, means that they're doubting God's promises and running to the world from help. When circumstances become difficult and you're in the furnace of testing, here's one of the things we need to learn is to stay where God has put you until he tells you to move. If you don't, you're going to be out of the will of the Lord. You're going to be out from under the protection of the Lord. And there's all kind of consequences that are going to come as a result of that. And so faith moves in the direction of peace and hope. But understand unbelief moves in the direction of restlessness and fear. Isaiah 28 verse 16 says, Whoever believes will not be in haste. In other words, don't be quick. To, to make a, a quick decision. Pray about it. Make sure that you're, you're, you're listening to the Lord, that the Lord is directing you. Make sure that you're praying, Lord, I, help me to make sure, is this me thinking I should do this, or is this you? And, and show me, confirm to me. And, and so in, in times of testing, the important question is not, how can I get out of this, but what can I get out of this? So always make sure when you're going through tests of your faith, as we're going to see here with Abraham, that you're always asking that question. Not how can I get out of it, but what can I get out of it? Because God is at work to build your faith. God alone is in control of the circumstances in your life and in my life and and many people around this world's life. Uh, You're safer. Understand this. Abraham would have been safer in a famine in the will of God than in a palace out of the will of God. And the same's true for us. It's well been said that the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. And so Abraham failed the test of circumstances and turned from the will of God. So when the circumstances got bad and a famine comes, Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. 
And, and so then we come to the next test. So there were circumstances. Now we see people are, are, are some of the tests that he faces. Uh, when you come to verse 11 and then down into chapter 13 and verse 4. We're just going to take a few of these verses at a time uh, as we go through here. So once he's down in Egypt, Abraham here uh, faces a new set of problems because you understand that if you run away from a problem here and you run over here problems are going to follow you they're always going to be there even if even if it doesn't follow you there's going to be another problem over there for you to have to play, face there's no perfect place that we can run to the only perfect place will be heaven when we get to heaven and so Abraham faced a new set of problems running away from one test facing another once you are on that journey through the school of faith, understand this, you're not allowed to drop out just because of one failure. Uh, God has purposes to fulfill in you and through you, and he will do everything that is necessary to make you succeed. When he's in the land of Canaan there, all Abraham had to do was to deal with a famine. But when he gets down to Egypt, he has to get along with a proud ruler, get along with his officers. Uh, Pharaoh uh, was looked upon as a god, but he was not a god like Abraham's god, loving and generous and faithful. And, and Abraham soon discovers that he had been better off if he'd have stayed back there in Canaan and dealt with the circumstances of a famine than being down there with those people in Egypt. So notice the changes that take place in Abraham's life because he goes down to Egypt. Verse 11. So when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered, into, entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And the princes of Pharaoh saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah. Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So notice what happens here in the transition of the changes that happen. Remember what we talked about last time with Abraham? Everywhere he goes, when he leaves Ur, when he leaves Terah, uh, Haran there, and comes down to the promised land, he builds an altar. Everywhere he stops, he's always building an altar, always building an altar. When he goes down to Egypt, not once do you see him building an altar. And so to begin with, we see that Abraham moves from trusting to scheming. He doesn't have an altar down in Egypt. And you find him, you, you don't find him there calling uh, on the Lord. Lord, give me some guidance. Give me some help. Help me to know what to do when I get down here to these uh, Egyptians. You know, faith 
is living without scheming. Uh, when you stop trusting God's Word and you start leaning on man's wisdom, that is always going to lead to trouble. In fact, the, the, the writer in Proverbs says this in Proverbs 3, verse 5 and verse 6. He says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your straight, your paths. Abraham and Sarah brought this half-truth with them from Ur, used it in Egypt. It's not the last time he's going to lie about Sarah being his sister. They use it again in Gerar. And then their son Isaac is going to use that same scheming plan also uh, later in his life. So understand, when you find yourself scheming in order to escape problems with people, beware. Worse trouble is coming. If you're trying to scheme to get out of it and to finagle to get out of it, know this, worse trouble is going to come. Just trust the Lord and keep moving faithfully through trusting Him. Notice he also moves from confidence when he was there in Canaan and moving through Canaan following the Lord to fear. He's afraid. What, what are they going to do to me now? Uh, you know, when you're in the place of God's choosing, uh, when God leads you to a place, you don't have to be afraid uh, of anything because faith and fear can't dwell in the same place at the same time in the same heart. The fear of God is the fear that conquers every fear, but fear of man lays a snare, Proverbs 29 verse 25 says. God had repeatedly said to Abraham, Abraham... I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do this, I'll do that. But now Abraham is saying, notice in verse 12, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Over and over, he's focused on they rather than God. And God had kept saying to him, Abram, just trust me. Just trust me, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to take care of it. And all Abraham could focus on was them, on those Egyptians. And he took his eyes off the Lord, and he started looking at people. Notice a third change that takes place in his life. He moves from others to self. What was the whole reason he was lying? For himself, to protect himself. To protect himself, that was it. He lied so that it might be, verse 13, say you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, that my life might be spared for your sake. As the husband, Abram should have thought uh, first of his wife and not of himself. So he's putting her in a precarious situation, saying, Sarah, will you lie so that I can be safe? He's putting her in a sinful place to make her have to, to lie uh, before the, the, the Pharaoh here. And so, uh, Abram, he should have thought of his wife first. In fact, what we find is he should have never taken his wife there in the first place. A, a husband out of the will of God can bring untold trouble to his wife and to his family. And so understand that. He moves from others to self. And then that leads to a fourth change in his life. He moves from bringing blessing to now bringing judgment. 
So God calls Abraham here to, to be a blessing to the nations. You saw that back in chapter 12 in verse 1 and verse down through verse 3. He says, I'll make you a great nation. I'll, I'll bless you and make you a great name so that you will be a blessing. All God was doing for him was for him to be a blessing. So God had called Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. But because of Abraham's disobedience... Judgment falls on Pharaoh and his household. So understand this. Your sin and, and your things that you do that are wrong don't happen in a vacuum to affect only you. Here's Abraham who sins, gets his wife involved in the sin. She sins and lies uh, to the Pharaoh. Now the Pharaoh is getting judgment on him. And he didn't even know. They, they told him a lie. How was he to know? And so uh, we see here that judgment falls on him. It also happens later, as we said in Gerar in Genesis 20. If you want to be a blessing to others, then stay in the will of God. What did Jonah do? Jonah ran. Jonah ran from God's will and caused a storm that almost sank a ship and all the sailors who were on that ship almost drowned with him. Like Jonah, Abram lost his testimony before the unbelievers around him and had to face embarrassment and rebuke when he's confronted with what he's done. God graciously, though, watched over his servant Abraham and brought him out of this difficult situation. Because think about it, if Sarah had become one of Pharaoh's wives, what would have happened to the promise of the Redeemer? But when we don't let God rule in our lives, know this, he will overrule, and he will accomplish his purpose, but you will pay dearly for the disobedience. Abraham learned his lesson, and he repents, and we find that he goes up out of Egypt when we read chapter 13 and verse 1. So let's just continue on there. Verse, th verse 1 of chapter 13 says, So Abram went up from Egypt... So spiritually, he's going up now again. He'd gone down spiritually before. He, and his, he went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. And so uh, when you disobey the will of God, the only right thing to do is to go back to the place where you left him and make a new beginning. Because understand that, that for a Christian, no failure is permanent. In the school of faith. Abraham goes back to his tent. He goes back to his altar. He goes back to his life of being a pilgrim and a stranger. Now, a casual observer to this situation might conclude and say, well, think about it, though. What happened to Abraham wasn't all that bad. Uh, Pharaoh gave Abraham a lot of wealth. You see that in chapter 12, verse 16. Uh, he, he had all these sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, uh, female donkeys, camels. All those things have been given uh, to Abraham. You read in verse 2 of chapter 13, now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. Some of that is what he uh, acquired when he was down there in Egypt. And Sarah was given her own maid, uh, Hagar. Uh, God forgave Abram's, Abram's sin, and he started over again. So some might think, what's the big problem? Well, the big problem is, is that everything Abraham received in Egypt later causes him problems again. Because of their great wealth, Abraham and Lot couldn't live together and had to separate. 
So read on, if you will. So verse, verse 3 says, He journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. So he goes back to where he was to start with, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. So again, there he's going back to make things right, going back to worship God at the altar. And there Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. That means he offered a sacrifice there. He called upon the name of the Lord there. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And so they couldn't live together, and they have to separate. And Hagar, the Egyptian maidservant, she later brings division and sorrow into the home, uh, having a taste of Egypt, having a taste of the world. We find Lot measuring everything by what he saw there. Uh, you read on, and it goes on to say uh, in verse 7, uh, there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen uh, of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And so having had that taste of Egypt, having had that taste of the world, because remember Lot was with him, All the, the whole entourage goes down to Egypt when they go down there. And so he's seen all those things. So, so when he comes back and they're, they're having to separate, he's looking at everything and he's measuring it against what he saw down in Egypt. And he says, you know, if I had that piece of property down there in Egypt, that'd be nice. You know, this looks pretty good compared to what I saw down there in Egypt. And that begins to lead to his downfall and to the ruin of his family. There are no benefits from disobedience. And so the practical lesson from, from all of this is, is simply never abandon your altar. Always stay in fellowship with the Lord. No matter what the circumstances are in your life, if you've disobeyed and God is disciplining you, get back to the place where you left Him and make things right. And you ought to get back there just as quick as you can. Because remember, the victorious Christian life is, is a series of new beginnings. Now, that's not an excuse for sin, but it's an encouragement for repentance. And so we've seen here uh, that, that Abram faced uh, these first two obstacles here, and now we see the third test uh, that comes in, in verses 5 down through verse 18 in chapter 13. And so we've already read into this a little bit here. And so we will uh, just pick up uh, some of this from where Abram uh, begins, uh, or Lot begins to look and lift his eyes up. So let's go back to verse 10 and we'll pick up there. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Now, when you begin to look at what happens here in the strife that happened between Abram and Lot and his, their servants, you, you wonder how many family fights have been caused by the love of money. You've seen it happen. When somebody passes away, uh, the family members begin fighting over what's left. Uh, the news uh, always, it often tells us reports about families battling in court because of an inheritance or a, a lottery winning. Uh, people who used to love each other and enjoy each other start attacking one another, all for the love of money. But understand that money cannot buy the blessings that families freely give. And so Abraham, he might have failed the first two tests that we've seen, but he passes this third test with great success. Now, this test wasn't an easy one because it involves land. It involves wealth. Uh, but Abraham is the example of what every believer ought to do when there are disputes about material things. So, so Abraham had determined to be a peacemaker and not a troublemaker. And so he already started there in those first verses uh, to, to tell Lot, oh, wait a second, we don't need to be arguing and fussing uh, with one another. Uh, we don't have to, need to have any strife between you and me, as verse 8 says, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. Uh, let's just uh, settle this thing uh, like, like men. We're, one will go one way, one will go the other way. And, and so the, the problem between Abraham and Lot wasn't caused by the land or by the famine or, or even by their wealth because they both were rich. It wasn't even caused by their herdsmen, as verse 7 uh, is, is saying there about the, they were having their squabble between one another. Ultimately, the heart of every problem is a problem of the heart. And that's what was going on in, in Lot's life and in the servants' lives. Uh, it was in the heart of their lives. Lot's heart was very centered on wealth and worldly achievement, while Abram uh, wanted only to please the Lord. You know, Amos chapter 3, verse 3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? It was bad enough that this dispute was between brethren, but that it was between family. But even worse... The people of the land, remember the whole reason God had brought Abram there was to be a blessing to the nations. He had promised him that back in chapter 12, verse 1 through verse 3. Now they're squabbling with one another. What happens when a church is squabbling with one another? It ruins our witness. It ruins our testimony. The people of the land were watching and they were listening to Abraham and they were listening to Lot and they were listening to their servants. And you say you serve the one true and living God? If that's what it's like, I don't want any part of that. And that's what the world says about the church today when we're squabbling with one another. When Christians have disputes, it hurts the testimony of the Lord. We, we ought to work those things out uh, as we see here Abram and Lot begin to try to work these out in a peaceable way. No wonder... The, the Lord uh, prays that his people might be one, that the world might believe, uh, because Christian unity is, a fra is fragrant and fruitful, but disunity it, it, it just has a fragrance. It comes from a fragrance into a stench and from a garden into a desert. James chapter 3 through chapter 4 tells us even a little bit about Lot tells us why Lot was a troublemaker instead of a peacemaker. It was because he had heart trouble. Not physical heart trouble. He had spiritual heart trouble. <clears throat> he followed the wisdom of this world. Uh, like his uncle Abraham, when he had gone down to Egypt, 
and not trusting in God's wisdom. He was at war with Abraham because he was at war with himself. And he was at war with himself because ultimately he was at war with God. You see, the world's wisdom and the world's wealth can seem so satisfying. If I just had more, if I just could win that lottery, if I could just make millions of dollars, if I just had more, everything would be fine. I would be at peace. You ever watch those shows and see those people who win and the misery that they go through and all that it brings to their lives and to their families? The world's wisdom and the world's wealth seem satisfying, but ultimately it brings disappointment. And so we see covetousness. You know, covetousness uh, is an unquenchable appetite for more things. Always got to have more. And it leads to all kinds of evil. So in order to get more money, people lie. They mistreat people. They cheat. They even bring trouble to their own families. Robert South wrote and said this, covetousness is both the beginning and the end of the devil's alphabet. It's the first vice in corrupt nature that moves and the last which dies. Abraham had caused trouble in Egypt because he was out of place in the will of God. And Lot causes trouble in Canaan because he was out of place. His heart was really back down there in Egypt. If you look there at verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes, saw that Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. There's that comparison. He's looking at it, comparing it to Egypt in the direction of Zoar, which was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. According to 1 Corinthians, there's only three kinds of people in this world. There's the natural, the unsaved, the carnal, the saved, who are living for the world and the flesh, and then there's the spiritual who are devoted to God. You know, you can find all three in Genesis chapter 13. You see the natural man in Genesis 13, 13. Uh, you see uh, the carnal Lot there, and then you see the spiritual uh, Abraham. Lot was a righteous man, but he wasn't devoted to the Lord. Uh, he couldn't walk with Abraham because Abraham was the friend of God and Lot was a friend of the world. And you cannot love the world and serve God at the same time. Many church splits and many church, many family fights are caused by carnal Christians not walking with the Lord or with other believers. And so notice that Abraham, he lived for others, not for self. While he was in Egypt, who was he thinking about? Himself. Back in chapter 12, chapter 12 and verse 12 through 13. But when he returns to the altar in Canaan, he starts putting God first again. And he starts putting others next. And as the elder statesman in the group, Abram had every right to decide. He could have said, I'll take this piece, you take that piece, see you later. He had every right and every authority to do that as the elder statesman. But notice what he does. He gives Lot the first choice. He gives Lot the first choice. And notice the spiritual Christian doesn't insist on my way, on my rights, but gladly yields to others. In his later years, General William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army, 
he, he was too ill to attend the, the Salvation Army's World Conference, but he would send the delegates a message. One year he cabled them only one word, others. And it was a challenge, and the people took up that challenge in the Salvation Army. Philippians 2 verse 4 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So Abraham has changed back now in his heart as he's come to the place of repentance and turning back to God. And now he begins to live by faith and not by sight. So, so no matter what Lot did, Abram's not worried about his future. He's not sitting back there thinking, I hope he doesn't choose the Jordan Valley. I hope he doesn't choose the Jordan Valley. That's the best looking place out here. He's not sitting back there fretting. He's not worried. Lot, choose wherever you want. Why could he be that confident? Because he, he was where he needed to be again with the Lord. So no matter what Lot did, he wasn't worried about the future. He knew everything was in the hands of the Lord. And so Abraham, he, he, he had never read Psalm 47 verse 4 that says, He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob whom he loves. Or he had never read Matthew 6 verse 33 that says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. But Abraham was putting both of those things into practice by faith. He had met God at the altar, and he knew that everything was under control. Here's a truth for you to take from this message tonight. When God is first in your life, it makes no difference who is second or who is last if God is first in your life. Lot had a tent, but never do we read about Lot having an altar which meant he didn't call on the Lord for wisdom in making decisions. Instead, what do we see he, do, he does at the beginning of verse 10? He lifts up his eyes. He lifts up his own eyes and, and looks to the plain of Jordan, to the valley of Jordan, and, and stop there. You know, the eyes see what the heart loves. And Abraham had taken Lot out of Egypt... But he couldn't take Egypt out of Lot. Abraham's eyes were on the holy city of God looking for that place that the Lord would lead him to. And he went on to walk with the Lord and to inherit blessings. But Lot's eyes were on those sinful cities of men and he went on to worldly success but to spiritual failure and a shameful end. Lot had a great opportunity to become a man of God as he walked with Abraham, uh, but we don't read of Lot ever building an altar, of ever calling on the name of the Lord. So notice what happens there in verse 10. He looked toward Sodom, then he moves toward Sodom. So verse 11, So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. So he moves toward Sodom. And finally, he moves into Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. 
For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. When you read down in chapter 14 and verse 12, it says they also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom. So he looks towards Sodom, he moves towards Sodom, and finally he winds up in Sodom. You know, you begin to play with snakes, you're going to get bit. You begin to play with the things of the world, and you're going to find yourself in the mire of sin. Instead of being a pilgrim who made progress, Lot regresses into the world and away from God's blessings. He journeys east in verse 11, turns his back on Bethel. What is Bethel? The house of God. He turns toward Ai, which means ruins. The people in Sodom may not have appeared wicked to Lot at that time, but they were wicked as far as God was concerned, and what God says is all that matters. Now, notice Abraham lets uh, God choose for him here. A after Lot goes away, Abraham, he could have said, well, I'm going to go over here then. No, he waits on the Lord. Abraham has another meeting with the Lord there in verse 14 down through verse 18. So we finish there with verse 15. Verse 16 goes on and says, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can, can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And what did he do? There he built an altar to the Lord once again worshiping the Lord. So after Lot had gone away, he has that meeting with him. Lot had lifted up his eyes, seen what the world had to offer. Now God invites Abraham to lift up his eyes and to see what heaven has to offer. Lot chose a piece of land which he would finally lose, but God gives Abraham the whole land which still belongs to him and to his descendants. Lot says, I will take. God said to Abraham, I will give. What a contrast between the two. Lot, he lost his family. But Abraham was promised a family so large it couldn't be counted. Now remember Abraham and Sarah, they were old and had no children. Lot was living for the possible, but Abraham was trusting God for the impossible. Lift up your eyes and look was followed by lift up your feet and walk in verse 17. He was telling him to claim his inheritance by faith. You know, the discipline that he experienced in going down to Egypt had taught Abraham some things. It taught him to respect boundaries. And so now God could trust him with horizons. Here's another truth for you to learn from this passage tonight. It's your faith in God that determines how much of his blessing you will enjoy. It's your faith in God, your trust in God that determines how much of his blessing you will enjoy. When you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, God gave you all the spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1 verse 3. All you need to do is to appropriate that inheritance by faith and draw on his riches in glory, Philippians 4:19. The Word of God is the will of God. It is the, it is the will that will tell you how rich you are, and faith is the key that opens the vault so you can claim your inheritance. Abraham gave thanks 
to God. He worships God. Not only did Abraham lift up his feet, lift up his eyes and look, and lift up his feet and walk in verse 17, but he also lifts up his heart and worships God and thanks him for the blessings. And he pitches his tent from place to place as God leads him, builds an altar of witness everywhere he's going through the land of Canaan. He's being a witness to those people. Every time he sets up his tent and builds an altar, People are wondering, what's he doing over there? We've never seen somebody build an altar out there like that with no temple to worship your God with. And it began to be a witness to the people around him. The people in Sodom, they were proud of their wealth. But Abraham had a spiritual wealth that they didn't know anything about. He was walking in fellowship with God, and his heart was satisfied. So just remember this. The devil wants to use circumstances. He wants to use people. He wants to use things to tempt you and to bring the worst out in you. But God also wants to use those things to test you, to bring out the best in you. Now, Abraham, he failed those first two tests because he trusted in man's wisdom instead of having faith in God's Word. But he passed that third test. He passed that third test with great distinction because he let God take control. It's one of the hardest things for us to learn to do, to let God take control. But 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says this, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, our trust in God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you. What a powerful message, especially for those of us who are believers. That, Lord, we sometimes get discouraged along the journey of life. We, we face the famines of life spiritually. Sometimes we face the, the circumstances or the people that uh, just begin to be a barrier towards us that keeps us, Lord, from keeps us focused on those things rather than focused on you. And so, Father, I pray tonight that we've seen some things through Abraham's life and through Lot's life, things that we shouldn't do and things that we should do. And, Lord, that we would learn that, that when we have stepped out of your will, it doesn't mean it's the end. It just means, Lord, that we need to get back to the place that we left you. It means that we need to get back to the place there uh, of returning to you, of repenting in our heart, uh, repenting of our sin, and turning back by faith to trust you and to follow you and you will restore us just like you did with Abraham. Father, I pray that you would help us to live and to walk by faith and to move from those places of famine in our lives to the place of faith, trusting in you with all our heart, soul, and strength. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we stand and sing our hymn of invitation, Number 311, would you stand and sing our hymn invitation and come as the Lord lays on your heart.
Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for joining us online. Uh, I didn't get to ask the Connors there anything. Or we do we need to bring any food on Wednesday for the meal? Yes, we are doing a meal for them. No, I don't. That's the group's deal to do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's what I needed to know if I needed to tell people to bring any food for it or not. I, I thought maybe y'all had discussed some when you were over at the other place last night. Okay, well, it's good to have, have you with us tonight. We will be back Wednesday night. If you're in choir, don't forget we've got choir practice Wednesday night. Uh, so join us for that. Uh, we've got the Christmas program coming up. So put that on your calendar. That's going to be December the 17th, 6 o'clock. So thank you so much for being with us tonight. You have a blessed week. We'll see you Wednesday night, 6 o'clock.